If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn uh, or use one of our pew Bibles to John chapter 5. I will continue looking at our series, Come and See. And just to kind of know, it's been a couple weeks, just to kind of catch you up. We've got chapter 1, the first 18 verses serve as an introduction to the whole book. Uh, then we have some interactions with John the Baptist, chapter 2. Uh, Jesus performs the sign by turning water into wine in Canaan. He goes to Jerusalem, kicks out the money changers, uh, then goes, uh, talks to Nicodemus, heads back north uh, to Galilee, stopping in Samaria, where we saw the woman at the well have a transformed life, and an entire Samaritan village was transformed. Uh, the end of chapter 4, Jesus uh, finally makes it to Galilee, where he ministers to people who really don't like him for who he is. Uh, they're sign seekers. They're following Jesus, uh, not out of authentic faith or authentic trust, but out of the fact that Jesus is doing miracles. Uh, so that's kind of where we left off. And chapter 4 serves as kind of the bookend to the entire early stages of Jesus' ministry. You know, parts of the story that the other gospel writers didn't share with us uh, to a great degree. And so uh, chapter 5, while it's still talking about the public ministry of Jesus, it does transition just slightly uh, as Jesus continues to work and to move. And this morning, I just want us to look at these first nine verses uh, in chapter 5. This will be the third miracle, the third sign that Jesus performs uh, in the Gospel of John. So if you're with me, start reading in verse 1 of chapter 5. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool called Bethsaida, in Aramaic, uh, which, uh, which has five colonnades, colonnades. With these lay a large number of disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and realized uh, that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, but, uh, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. In verse eight, Jesus says, "Get up, pick up your mat, and walk." Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now, this was the Sabbath. This is a story of healing. It is a story of Jesus transforming the life, the life of this man. Uh, the setting is in the first five verses. Jesus has now traveled back south. Uh, and I know you're thinking, like I said, he traveled up to Jerusalem. And he's actually going down south. But one thing to keep in mind, Jerusalem is up. So as they leave Galilee and head back towards Jerusalem, they're actually going up uh, a mountain, uh, up to Jerusalem. We're not told which festival it is. The festival must not be important for this particular context. Uh, but Jesus finds himself back in Jerusalem, the holy city. Now, right out of the gate, some of you may have noticed, depending on what Bible translation you have, 
that it goes from verse 3 to verse 5. Uh, and you can see the footnote, if your Bible does skip, uh, you can see the footnote that what is in that section is a description of what is usually happening at these pools. The, the footnote in my Bible says, uh, waiting for the moving of water because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up recovered from whatever ailment he had. So this is not where we get hung up on because that section is, I mean, what the water is doing is not the focus. Our focus is on what Jesus is doing. Uh, But the reason it's left out of some of the other Bible translations is because it's not in our oldest, most accurate manuscripts. Uh, It's just verses that we believe a scribe wrote in the margins at some point to help explain what's going on. And so over time it found its way in. But again, when you come across, and, and I wrestle with even to bring this up, when you come across verses like this, and some of the more newer English translations, they are missing verses that the King James and others have. Don't let that trip you up or bog you down. Those verses don't change the meaning of anything. Now, this verse doesn't change what's getting ready to happen. It just offers a little bit of explanation, which I would have given you anyway as your pastor. And so don't don't let that trip you up or think that there's a mistake. There's not a mistake. Uh, it's just we're using the best manuscripts to do this. But we do see that in the explanation, in the context, these people waited. And they were hoping to get in the water to be healed. The man you see here had been there for 38 years desiring to be healed. That's what I want you to see. 38 years of struggling, 38 years of possibly uh, being an invalid or being paralyzed, 38 years of being unable to just function as a normal human. And then I also want you to see that there's a lot of people around this pool. There are multitudes of people who have came to this pool who desperately desire a healing. I mean, I imagine... If it was something like this today, there's all kinds of things today that people go and they try to sit beside or do these, they go see these healers because there's such a need to be healthy. There's such a need in our hearts to be made whole, to be healed of our ailments. And so Jesus goes to this place. This is the setting of what's taking place. And we learn three things about Jesus here. This is where he goes when he gets... First of all, he enters the sheep gate. He doesn't go in through the main gate. He goes in through this little bitty sheep gate where shepherds and sheep go into. And then he goes to where these hurting people are at. Your mind should go back to chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among the people. Jesus came to dwell among the people. Sick people, hurting people, people who needed healing. That's where he goes. He doesn't go to the elite religious establishment. He doesn't go to the synagogues. He doesn't go to somebody's house and recline and just hang out and watch whatever's on the the, the Jerusalem news of the day. He goes to where people need him the most. 
Throughout the Gospels, you see the compassion of Jesus as He is going to these people. He goes to the hurting. He goes to to provide them healing. What you see is Jesus moves towards need, not comfort. Jesus moves towards the needs of people, not His own personal comfort. Jesus moves towards sinners, not self-righteous people. Because it is the Sabbath. And he goes to where the people need him the most. I think we also, as we learn about his compassion, we also learn about his knowledge. Jesus knew he was there. Jesus knew his hurt, his pain. He knew that he needed healing. He knew that this guy had been waiting for a long time. We should take great encouragement that Jesus knows our problems. Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus knows the struggles of your heart, of your health, of your life. And, and, and I know, I mean, I get it. This guy waited 38 years. Some of us have been waiting for a long time for Jesus to take away the pain, to take away the hurt, to provide healing. And some of us are going to have to keep waiting. And we don't always know why, but we know that he cares about us, he loves us, and that he knows what we are going through. I mean, he knows it better than we know it ourselves. Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, You discern my thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. The Lord knows everything about us. The Lord knows what you're going to need tomorrow, and you may not even know it yet. And in his compassion, he shows up. In your circumstances. And we also learn that Jesus has compassion. He's got this infinite knowledge. And he also has power. Jesus has the power to heal sickness. Instantly. Instantaneously. This man was healed. And all Jesus said was get up. And take your mat. That's the power of our Savior. We can go back to the royal officer in the, in the previous section whose son was uh, dying a distance away. And Jesus says, you go, your son will be alive. And on his way, the royal officer finds, finds out his son indeed is alive and well. Because Jesus instantly has the power to heal. When Jesus speaks, diseased muscles and bones obey at once. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I wish he would speak to my knees when I wake up in the morning. Anybody else? Back? Back pain? When I wake up, my knees are louder than my alarm. I mean, it's, I mean, they creak all the time. Uh, but he has the power to heal. And I do want you to look down at verse 14. Because what happens is the man picks up his mat, he walks, and there's a response to that that we'll talk about uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, the crowds see this, and Jesus kind of withdraws into the crowds. Remember, Jesus has said that his hour has not yet come. He's not ready for the people to hoist him up. He's also not seeking sign seekers. He's not seeking people who just want to follow him because of his miraculous works. This man shows an incredible amount of faith by picking up his mat. And so Jesus just withdraws in the crowds. And then there's some conversations and there's some religious leaders who 
get wind of this and some very legalistic activities. Again, we'll get to that in a couple weeks. But look at verse 14. After this, Jesus found him at the temple. So after the healing, Jesus once again finds this man. Finds him well and healthy. And here's what Jesus says. See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. So not only has Jesus gone to this individual who had a physical ailment, he approaches him again and cures him of a spiritual ailment. See, all of us have in common the sickness of sin. We are all held captive by our sin. We're in bondage. It cri- sin cripples us. It cripples us. It stops us and prevents us from being who God has called us and wants us and desires us to be. And so Jesus heals him of his, of his paralyzed body and then he says, sin no more. By the way, to those who say that Jesus is all about love and people can live their life however they want to and still be Christian, I think this is one of the verses that should clear that up. Because he says, sin no more or something worse will happen to you. Now, it's hard to think of anything worse than being paralyzed. And so when you study it, you come to the conclusion he's talking about the final judgment. He's saying that if this man does not repent and turn away from his sins, that if he falls back into a lifestyle of sin, if he doesn't follow the ways of the Lord, then the worst thing is going to be he will stand before God and be condemned to hell because he never embraced or accepted Jesus. That is the worst thing. He's not telling the man to live a perfect life. He's just simply saying, do not willfully, continuously, actively sin anymore. Surrender your life to Jesus. So that when you stand before the judgment seat of God, you'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus has a healing for all of us. And the first thing he wants to do is heal you of your sin. To save you from the punishment, the consequences of our mistakes and our decisions to rebel. So the question, the invitation that I have for you this morning is do you need to be healed? Do you need to be healed of sickness called sin? Do you need to surrender your life to Jesus this morning? As we sing our our last song of invitation, that is what I want to invite you to respond to this word. Respond to the healing of our Lord and Savior so that you can hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word of encouragement. We're so grateful that, that you know our circumstances, you know our hurts, you know our pain. And we're so grateful that you know that we are sinners and that you came to save us from our sins. Father, I pray that we would surrender our life to you. That if there's anyone here who needs to to make that decision, that they would just come forward. That they would say, today is the day I want to be saved. Today is the day that I surrender my life, that I repent of my sins, that I'm healed of this sickness. I pray that you would convict them in their hearts to make that decision. 
that you would help them to take the next steps and go public through baptism. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.